Hi everyone, welcome back to Weird Wessex. I'm Andy Stevens and I'm here with Craig Brooks. Hello. And today we're talking about ghosts, which we weren't actually going to put the ghost ones out today, were we? No, so this was going to come later, but we decided that the two we originally planned for Halloween release weren't spooky enough. So we're doing this as a little cheeky bonus. Um, if you haven't listened to the other one already, they're still worth listening to. Just uh, <laughs> this will be the spookier one, we hope. Hopefully, um, yes. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it fits in with Halloween. So, uh, yeah, I see you got your pumpkin there. I have. We've been carving pumpkins today. Um, and I've been making some soul cakes, which are these lovely little biscuits here. Nice, nice. So if you see me eating uh, throughout the episode, that's what it is. Fantastic. I, I haven't got any Halloween tea. Actually, no, tell a lie. I'm drinking pumpkin spice tea. Um, oh, you've one-upped me. I've just got normal builder's tea. <laughs> but uh, well done with the pumpkin. I see you carved inside the lines and everything. Just about, just about, yeah. It's harder than it looks. It is, isn't it? They're they're hard. It's um, yeah. yeah. Um, right. So we've got some. Uh, we've got a couple of ghost stories for you. Um, my one is from Dorset. You've gone a bit further afield than uh, the borders of Wiltshire this time, though, haven't you? I have. I've strayed outside the borders to a land that Don't actually exists. <laughs> <laughs> so my story is going to come from um, Berkshire. And it's it's a bit well, it starts off quite dark. It's not not pleasant, but it's a ghost story. Okay. Um do you wanna do you wanna go first? Shall I go first? Um it's up to you. Yeah, I can go if you like. Go for it. Yeah. So actually this is connected to the last episode because I found this one when I was researching black dogs. Um so if anyone hasn't listened to the last episode. That's my little link there. Um, but yeah, it's a bit darker than that. So it's at a place called Little Cot Manor, which, as I said, was in uh, Berkshire. Yeah. Um, and it was, um, it's actually three houses knocked into one that was built in 1250 originally and then kind of extended by different families. Um, and there was said to be a curse placed on the building based on the story I'm about to tell, um, oh. where further owners um, were prevented from having children. That's, that's, that is a lot heavier than our last episode. Carry on. <laughs> you said you wanted something more Halloween-y. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, the story itself starts before the ghost. So we'll get into the ghost later, um, but we'll talk about how the ghosts end up there, I guess. is It's like the ghost sort of saying, you may be wondering how we got here. <laughs> <laughs> Record skip free. <laughs> yeah. So in um, this takes place in 1575 and there's a midwife named Mother Barnes and she's called to, um, to help a lady that's in labour um, and the lady is masked um, and there's a gentleman there as well who's also masked and for some reason... She's the um, midwife is also blindfolded when she's brought to the case. So they're really trying to keep this one wow. under wraps for some reason. Um, but yeah, so that's everything's fine, delivers the baby perfectly normally. Um, and then it sort of 
takes a dark twist when the man snatches the baby from the midwife and throws it into the fire and holds it down in the fire with his boot until it's dead. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I've got I've got I've got I've got thoughts and opinions, but carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Feel free to interject if you've got something to say. But um, I mean, what else can you add to that? I mean, it's as I say, it's not not a pleasant story. So we'll move on from that, I think. And um, so yeah, so the masked man turns out to be the owner of the manor, a guy called William Darrell, um, who later becomes known as Wild William Darrell. I'm not sure whether that's connected to what he did, but yeah. Um, and and the the main rumor that circulates after the event is that the the lady who gave birth was actually his sister, which is why he was, yeah. Um, but anyway, one way or the other, the um, the midwife manages to report the case to a local magistrate, which leads to Wild Will's arrest. Um, however, he bribes the judge and escapes conviction. So um, there is um, sort of some some kind of heavenly justice, I guess, happens to him in the end, is that in 1587, um, so just a few years later, um, he's out hunting on his horse when the ghost of the baby appears before him. It startles the horse, the horse throws him off its back um, and it breaks his neck and kills him in the process. Ah. Um, yeah, so then um, the house ends up being seized by the Lord Chief Justice, a guy called Sir John Popham, um, because the house was actually part of the bribe he used to get off on the murder charge. Well, it's not murder, is it? I think it's infanticide. It's infanticide, but essentially, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh... yeah. so he uses the house as part of the bribe. So when he dies, the, the uh, Lord Chief Justice gets his house um and so yeah so there's a couple of ghosts that are now seen at the property it's currently a hotel so you can stay there um there is a lady's ghost seen on the landing that's crying for her lost child um and occasionally the baby is heard but wild will himself is often spotted at a site known as daryl's uh, style um which is supposedly where he died um and he's also spotted in the bedroom occasionally. And in 1970, a journalist also saw a ghostly form of a midwife carrying a baby. So they're all kind of, all the ones that are associated with that dark story are the players. now haunting the place. And you mentioned a curse on, uh, curse on the, you know, not being able to have children. Yeah, so that comes um, once this... Um, because of the bribe. So once the guy takes over the property, sort of every family that owns the house after that is unable to have children. I don't know whether that stands today, but it was certainly the case for a long time. I guess now that it's a hotel, it's kind of irrelevant. Yeah, well, I mean, someone owns a hotel though. I mean, do you need to reside in the house? Do you need to just own the house to be affected by this curse? I mean, they, they say the curse, Going from memory now, but I think it was the family directly after him that were affected and weren't able to have children. And I guess that's where kind of probably where these stories originated. Yeah. Um, and who doesn't like a good ghost story? And this is quite a quite an interesting one. It is, it is. It's got a lot of components, you know, it's a lot of um yeah, so 
I think years ago in the 90s, it was on, um, do you remember the show um, Fact or Fiction? Yes. And they used to tell stories and you'd have to decide if they're true. I'm sure this, I've seen it on there at some point, but it's ringing a bell anyway. But uh, yeah, so so the baby's cry, the baby's not seen the cries are heard though, which is kind of creepier, yeah. I think, in a lot of ways than actually seeing it. Yeah, the only person that sees the baby seems to be in the story of when he dies, but presumably yeah. he was on his own. Yeah. I don't know where they get the report that he saw a baby and was pushed from his horse. I don't know. That is a good point. Maybe, maybe he wasn't on his own. Maybe uh, maybe he was out riding with some friends or, a, you know, sort of servants or something like that. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah. you do often wonder in these stories, like, you know, sort of it's – you know, someone's alone, something happens and they die. It's like, yeah, sort of, how did that, how did that bit enter the story if they were alone? So, um, yeah. And in reality, him dying by being thrown from a horse, probably not connected with the death of the baby, but then people put the two together and it makes a nice narrative as one story. Oh, absolutely. I should, I need to avoid words like nice when I'm talking about babies being <laughs> thrown into fire. I right? think when you come into like that kind of, celestial justice kind of element to it you can probably get away with using nice but yeah it's i i you know that that to me smacks of you know the 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 part about the the ghost of the baby smacks of people adding that you know they'd heard the rumors they heard what the midwife said and then you know sort of you know this wild willy you know he's yeah. he's forever known as this guy that did this horrible thing to this child potentially born of incest you know so, you know, I, I think a lot of people would just attach that. It's like, he fell from a horse. Well, this must have happened then because that makes yeah. a better fight out of tale of it. I think as well, there was another ghost that I, I've not written in my notes, but there was another case where um, someone saw the mother and it's not just like the glimpse of a ghost. She speaks to him. Um, and I think he was, he'd acquired the house and he was clearing a lot of things out. Um, and she started saying about some box that had her baby's things in it. It was in the chapel um, and not to remove it. Um, and then later it sort of confirmed he goes to look in the box and it's full of baby's stuff. So he makes sure that they don't throw that stuff out because she threatens a curse on him as well, actually. Wow. That's uh, I, I love a story with a good curse or a couple of curses, you know, it's. So he's never actually cursed because he he finds the box that she tells him to and yeah yeah um yeah no i mean that's that's uh you you i i find something in like much creepier about stories when they involve you know sort of uh children i was chatting to a chap that does ghost walks up in edinburgh castle and uh, I asked him at the end, has anything ever happened down here? And he said, yeah, he gave me a few examples. But he said a colleague of his felt a hand, a child's hand, hold his hand and it was cold. And he assumed it was this person on the tour. But he looked yeah. and the kid on the other side of the room and he looked down, there was nothing there. And he said, if that happened to me, that would be the last day I did this job. He said that that would be the last. Day. You know what I mean? There is something. Really As you said creepy. that, I genuinely had the whole someone walked over my grave thing. I just like had a shiver <laughs> on my spine. Like, oh. See what there's something inherently creepier about it being kids. Um, I remember yeah. I was, uh, I was uh, a little anecdote here. Um, there's 
I, I was walking along quite late at night with a friend of mine, Ben, and we're just strolling down the street. And it must have been one in the morning. And, you know, we, we hadn't been drinking anything. I'll, I'll put that in there. Um, but we're walking down the street and you do this sort of double take when, you know, you see something and you're like, you, your brain just refuses to acknowledge it. It's like, no, that, that, that wasn't real. And I, I saw these two little girls, both blonde, must have been about seven or eight, in one of the cars, just in the window, looking at us, just wide-eyed. And I did this double take, and they were actually there. And literally, I made this pathetic sort of yelp, as did Ben once he saw it and must have jumped about five foot away. And they're just looking at us, and then they just crease up laughing. There were actually kids in that car. It wasn't ghosts, but <laughs> It really creeped me out for that moment. My heart was pounding, you know. It was like they, just they, they were actually they were actually real, or were they? Well, that's it. You know, I've only got yeah, those may have been ghosts. But um, yeah, that <laughs> as you say, there is something really creepy about that. Um well, my one isn't quite as dark as yours. It is um it uh, does involve a few elements of um unearthly screams of betrayal of slavery um, and it is set in uh, Bettscombe Manor which is in Dorset now I think it's great excellent <laughs> sorry bad joke <laughs> <laughs> that was that was that was terrible um, <laughs> so terrifying um, so uh, yeah, this, this story happens in the village of uh, Bettiscombe, and that is sort of more towards the west of Dorset, um, from me in Bournemouth anyway. And the story actually starts uh, in the 1680s, around the time of the Monmouth Rebellion. So the Duke of Monmouth um, landed a force, um, fought a battle, lost, and his supporters were being hunted down. Now... Um, the chap's name, I've written it down because it was an awkward one to remember, is Zyra Pinney. So Zyra here, which is a phenomenal name, um, he supported the failed rebellion. Uh, he wasn't killed for it, though. He wasn't hanged, but he was banished. He had to leave the country. And so he went to the West Indies. And in the West Indies, um, the Pinney family did quite well for themselves. Um, he was actually a son of a guy called John Prester, but he took the name Pinney so he could inherit a certain amount of wealth from an uncle whose name was Pinney. And he said, you've got to take on my name. So the, the Prestons became the Pinneys. Now, the Pinney branch of this family um, set up quite well for themselves in the West Indies, doing what a lot of uh, English people over there were doing at the time, which was trading in slaves and running plantations. His particular one was running plantations for absentee uh, landowners. Uh, they amassed quite a fortune, and after that disgrace had sort of died down uh, about a century and a half or so later, the family actually moved, started moving back um, to their holdings in Bristol and in Dorset. And a chap called John Frederick Penny, who was his grandson or great-grandson, returned in the early 1800s to Bescombe Manor. Now, with him, he brought a slave who was freed uh, because that sort of thing had become illegal here by that point. But there was still sort of an element of indentured servitude to it. Now, this slave did not take well to the British climate, unfortunately sickened and died 
um, quite early on after arriving. Now, he'd been in this family for quite a while um, under these horrible circumstances, but there was a certain element of trust, I think, that he held, or at least hope that he held when he made his deathbed request, and that was that his body be buried in his homeland. Now, the story doesn't tell whether he was actually a first-generation uh, sort of someone had been brought over, enslaved and brought, or whether he was referring back to the West Indies, we're not quite sure. But shipping is expensive, whether it's to the West Indies or Africa. And so John Frederick, having promised this guy that he would return his body, went back on it and buried him somewhere cheaper, which was about 10 minutes around the corner in St. Stephen's Church Cemetery. Now, pretty much instantly after he was buried, things started to get weird. Um, in the manor, doors were slamming, windows were rattling, things were falling off of shelves. And we lost Andy. So it was just me. Is he going to come back? Apologies, the spirits will not take me. I've returned. <laughs> <laughs> As I said, uh, windows are rattling, things are falling off shelves, internet Laptops connections are turning off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yes, so after that, things started getting weird in the village as well. Um, apparently, the village um, experienced a lot of ill fortune, um, people were having accidents. And of course, you know, the first thing you do is you blame something that's gone awry. And word started to spread of this death, this burial. And all throughout, a horrid screaming and wailing could be heard up and down the streets some nights and through the halls of Betscombe Manor. So quickly, um, John Frederick Pinney decided this may have been something to do with his broken promise. Um, in some versions of this story, the, uh, the guy who died actually did lay a curse if anyone didn't, you know, take his body back. Um, mm. But in most versions, I've found that that doesn't happen. It is just due to this broken promise. So they march to the churchyard, they exhume the body, and they take it back to the manor, and they keep it in a in a coffin up in the attic. And so the story goes, the, the problem stopped. Um, after a few years... The body disappears, but the skull remains. Now, the house was later sold on. Of course, when you buy a new house, you know there's going to be some cobwebs clear, some things to fix up, a lick of paint. Um, you're, not always, you're not always prepared for a human skull. And several attempts were made. Uh, one, actually, the guy apparently bought the house and on the very same day plucked the skull up, walked down to the pond and threw it in because it gave him the heebie-jeebies. And... Every time this has happened, the screaming starts again, not so much in the village, but it's actually focused on the manor. Um, and it, these screams and these wails and these cries of anguish apparently just echoed up and down. The windows would eventually start rattling in, the doors banging. And the, this chap actually heard the local legend because um, he bought the place. He started meeting people. He mentioned it and someone informed him. So he actually dredged out the, the pond brought the skull and took it back inside. Um, I don't know if any attempts at exorcisms or anything like that were made. The, the legend goes, which should be quite verifiable, 
um, if it's true, that the skull remains there, locked away in a cabinet to this day. Um, but every time they've tried to remove this skull, which they've become uh, become known as the screaming skull of uh, Bescoon Manor, mm. it's mm. been it, it, these wails have returned and the, these horrible cries have returned. Um, there was a case of an archaeologist in the 60s, apparently, looked at the skull and determined that it was actually the skull of a woman from about 3,000 years ago that they think might have been found locally and kept there as sort of like a, some form of totem or some form of just curiosity. But I don't know. You know, that I've only found that account once and I didn't see any report on it or anything like that. But, uh, yeah. So essentially this skull, so the story goes, remains in Betacoon Manor to this day and every attempt to get rid of it has always resulted in the same screams and wails and, uh, yeah, just general general bad stuff. So, uh, yes, that is the Screaming Skull of Bescoon Manor. Now, there are a few Screaming Skull myths across the country, but that does seem to be the most prominent one. That's interesting. I haven't come across Screaming Skulls. As there's one up in Manchester, or I think there's one in Scotland, there's a few in the Midlands, but that was the only one in Dorset or the Southwest mm. that I found. Uh, with a with a bit of looking, I mean, I, I was looking for ghost stories, um, so I wasn't specifically looking for screaming skull stories. But uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, there is something. I guess it's that when you look at a, a body or when you look at a skeleton, the skull's the creepy bit, right? The skull's the bit that's unnerving because a face. It's like the. It's like the uncanny valley thing that we mentioned where something's a bit similar but not quite. You're seeing, you know, mm. the most recognizable, you know, that is the personification of someone is their face. So seeing that skull leering at you, there is something that I think we attribute um that that death, you know, that is, you know, you see it in the skull and crossbones and flags and gravestones, you know, it's it's that symbol of death. Um I might have to next time I'm over that way, I might have to have a have a look at the manor, see if uh, see if there's any steal the skull. Steal the skull. That's it. Just, the trouble is, if I steal the skull and bring it here, does that does that bring the curse to me as well as that manor? Or well, this is the kind of research this show needs to be doing. I mean, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> in your house, not in my house. <laughs> I was going to suggest I you know mail it to you. So if you can mail human skulls, it's probably not. Under the the rules of royal mail, that is that's a good point. That's a good point. Um, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe some of the other couriers would do it. Just don't tell them. <laughs> do no, I don't want to find year. a box. I don't need to find a box with a skull in it. Don't do that. They're at this time of year, and people just assume it's Halloween decorations. You know, this um, is true. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's well, there, there was that instance. I think it was in the London dungeons, or something, or it might have been one of one of those sort of dungeons. They had uh, they had a they had a skull that they thought was a prop, and it turns out it was an actual human skull from like the 1800s or something. Um, yeah, that rings a bell. I think I heard that one. Um, you know, you think of all these sort of. Uh, resurrectionists you know like uh 
you know, they, they used to go out and dig up um, recently buried bodies for medical students, and it was kind of a black market in human remains in the uh, 1800s. There must be so many bodies that were just skeletons that were just sort of unaccounted for and not on the record floating around that, you know, sort of, I imagine there's quite a few, uh, <laughs> quite a few places. Yeah. It's the old Burke and Hare thing, isn't it? It's, uh, that's it. That's it. <clears throat> grave digging. So, um, yeah, that, that's, that I, I quite enjoyed reading up on that story, actually. That was, I, as I said, I never really, I know there was like a 50s American horror film called The Screaming Skull. I haven't watched it, but I knew of it. Um, but I'd not heard of that sort of mythology before. So that, that's definitely going to be something to delve into at some point. It makes me think as well, I've, I've been eyeing up, have you seen the Aztec Screaming Skulls? No. Have you seen the Ghostbusters Afterlife, the most recent remake? Oh, right. yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's one in that, and it turns out there it's is. a real thing. Okay, I'll have to look into that. I'll, I'll just, it's like I, skull I mean, shape, and you on. blow into it, and it makes this hideous screaming noise. Oh, I do know what those are. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those, yeah, that's... Um... So was that like a religious thing, or was it something they'd use in battle or something like that? I think was it was that... a war thing. I think I only I've only just discovered it, so I haven't had time to look into them properly. But well, it's, um, it's yeah, like the, uh, the enemies. Age, it's like the Iron Age Carnixes, isn't it? Those huge, you know, like um, oh, here be flagons. They have three of them, don't they? <laughs> the um, uh, yeah. the, the battle, yeah. but yeah, and. Um, they, they, you know, sort of, they make quite, you know, if they're played well, they they make quite, a, I just made a farty sound from it when I tried it, but um, they, it's terrifying. But, you know, if they're played properly, they have real sort of eerie notes to it. And you can imagine like, you know, sort of 10 of those in a line just blasting out over a battlefield. And same with these screaming skulls, you know, it's, it's got to be quite unnerving if you've never come across them before. Hmm. And we should probably mention as well, because we we haven't we've had a discussion before about doing a seance at some point for the yes for the yeah, show. Yeah, there's a bit of we're on Halloweeny stuff. Um, yeah, you've got yeah, you've got a nice bit of uh, Halloween seance law to talk about, haven't you? I do. So um, on Halloween, uh, ninety-eight years ago, I believe Harry Houdini passed away. Um, and he always promised to come back and speak to his wife from the afterlife. So she performed seances for many years afterwards, but she never successfully contacted him. Um, but it's kind of a tradition now that magicians and other people just try and see whether they can make contact with him from the afterlife. So I think we should do that for the podcast. I think we should. Cause he was he was famously against that. He was always trying to disprove it, wasn't he? He was, yeah. So he, I think his later years, he stopped doing sort of the stunts and, and magic tricks. And then he moved into trying to disprove spiritualism and, and yeah. anything connected with that. Because he was friends with um, Arthur Conan Doyle, who was yes. a big believer. Um, but they ne he never really got in the way of their friendship, it seems. They were still good friends. Yeah. And had these so while trying, so Alfred Russell Wallace, who uh, had a house near where I uh, where I grew up, uh, it was actually his old house was my doctor's doctor's surgery, Wallace House. Um, apparently, when Conan Doyle was doing these seances, he was uh, he said that he was speaking to or trying to reach 
um, Alfred Wallace. Um, so yeah, that's um, yeah. There's a there's a connection there. So the, yeah, you you had a lot of sort of people very much in the public eye that were very big proponents of this sort of thing. Um, An yeah, interesting so, time. It really is. It really is. And what it's yeah, two years time is the hundredth uh, anniversary. I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. They're so, certainly on that episode in two years' time. <laughs> I don't know if I can well, wait that long. Next year. <laughs> we'll do a practice but, run. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Just a dry run. Um, maybe we'll contact Arthur Conan Doyle. Who knows? Um, that would be funny, wouldn't it? It's, you can't get Houdini, but we get him come through instead. <laughs> but uh, yeah. so... Yeah, because yeah, as you said, his wife. I know. I heard that his wife was trying to contact him after, and that was every Halloween, wasn't it? It was every Halloween for a certain amount. Of, I don't know how many off the top of my head, but for quite a few years, she tried and just gave up in the end. Yeah, I'm sure they televised one. I, I've got a vague memory of seeing one, wherever it was like the 90th anniversary, or there was some anniversary, <laughs> and I'm sure a bunch of magicians. I think it might have even been someone like Penn and Teller. I was going to say, it sounds like the thing they'd do, or like maybe Yuri Geller or something, you know? Yuri Geller's probably done something like that. but Yeah, I, I could see that. Yeah, when he's not bending spoons. <laughs> yeah, I can't bend spoons, but may, maybe we can contact uh, Harry Houdini. Yeah. I mean, there's something else, if we get time on the show, I wouldn't mind going into some of that Victorian stuff, like the spirit curtains and and some of the, I'm going to say frauds, that kind of puts my stance out there straight away, doesn't it? <laughs> but, um, well, I mean, you know, whether whether you believe it, whether you don't, I don't think anyone could deny there is a lot of frauds out there, you know. There, there, there has mm. been throughout, you know, history. You see accounts of con men doing it, like, right back to the Middle Ages. So, you know, I don't, you know, I think whatever your stance is, you're going to get frauds doing it. Yeah, I think I mostly got into a lot of that through Darren Brown as well. He's always gone out of his way to show how it is possible to do it and that it is just yeah. tricks. Yeah. Um, I, a friend of mine went to a, uh, a medium, actually, uh, well, like a show, uh, which I've, again, there are, there are things, and we'll, we'll cover this in a future episode, I'm sure, but there are things that, you know, I do think... How, how did they do that? You know, how do you explain that? But there's a lot of techniques like cold reading, for example. You know, I took yeah. what I, I I took what I knew about someone. I showed her how it worked. You know, I took what I knew about someone. Okay, they're a they're a slightly younger person. They're very upset. Um, so someone close to them has died. You know, they're they're obviously there to talk, speak to someone that's died. So I'll start talking about um, uh, you know, was it a sudden death? Um, or it was quite sudden, wasn't it? That's how you phrase it. And if you're wrong, if mm. it was expected, you say, "Well, before their time, they could." You know, you can change those sort of change those words. And the good one to go to is, um, uh, you know, sort of not to worry about the money um, because everyone worries about money. You know, and you think, "Oh, I was worrying about money." You know, and it's just little things like that. You sort of, and half the time, they'll tell you who's died, so you didn't have to. Do, you don't even have to do the cold reading for that mm. part. And, Again, I think Penn and Teller have done that before as well. Mm. Um, but I, I felt really gu guilty because this woman actually got quite upset because I'd like kind of 
I was like, she she kind of had less faith in the whole medium thing after that, and I felt quite guilty about that. But you know, uh, at the same time, it didn't sit her well with me that these uh, the, the guy I'm not going to mention names, but the guy actually got proven to be a, a fraud a little while later. There was uh, mm. yeah, uh, it was quite publicly stuff came out about him. So yeah, um, but yeah, there, there are certainly some things I've looked at that and watched, and you think right that that is uncanny, you know. I mean, I'm sure for people that are dedicated, there are ways to find stuff out or ways to do it. But yeah, there are there are there is the odd thing out there that, um, and as I mentioned on the first episode, like you know, certain things, even though I do lean towards skepticism on them, I am always thinking, okay, that's I'm not sure how that I'm I'm undecided on that one. So, mm. yeah, that's uh, that was the thing with um, bringing it back to Houdini. Um, is he didn't just say they're frauds. They this is how, uh, you know, they're 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 frauds and and they're they're conning everyone. He literally would perform the same tricks as them, yeah, side by side, and go, all right, well, this is how I would do it, and I'm I'm making it up, sort of thing. And yeah, it's I've always been really impressed by that. To be honest, I've always been, you know, and a, a lot of people don't like it, and I guess part of it is ruining the illusion for people or taking away that magic, which is a completely valid thing to look at sometimes. You know, you if you've got a belief in something, you don't know, you know, you may know it could be that belief could be punctured and you don't want it punctured. But uh, you know, it's yeah, I, I do quite respect the fact that he was a clever enough guy as well to not know these tricks necessarily already. He could look at these people doing this stuff and say, okay, I can do that this way and it'll do exactly the same yeah. thing. Like, incredibly impressive i don't know how much you know about his story and how he died um i've heard lots of different versions of how he died um there i heard that with a with him being punched is that what we're talking about that's that's connected to it yeah yeah um and it, it there are or there were at least sort of i probably myths really but there were rumors that spread that it was an assassination Oh, um, because basically he'd invited a bunch of I think there were students to come backstage after a show. And one of them said, is it true that you can withstand any punch to the stomach? And he sort of said, well, yeah, yeah, that's true. And without any warning, the guy punches him like five times in the stomach. Yeah. Um, partly not his fault that he died i guess because it takes a long time before he goes to get treatment like his days and days later before he goes and he's, yeah. he's got a ruptured appendix yes and that's eventually yeah. i think because he left it for so long i think he got sort of like it was leaking so he got like poisoning around his body and i think that's yeah, what eventually that's true, yeah. but it was rumored year it came about a long time afterwards but this thing went around that it was an assassination that the spiritualist mediums had sent this kid to punch him in the stomach. Wow. I mean, I, I, I kind of I like that. Maybe I can go on our conspiracy theories one, but um, I, I, I like that. Like just the idea of this spiritualist medium mob just organizing a hit, you know, um, mm. at the same time though, it's, if you're going to kill someone, you probably want to, there's probably more, more surefire ways of doing it than having someone punch them in the stomach and hope that uh, hope that one of it's going to do some real nasty damage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he did. Uh, I gather he did get threats for years that they were going to come for him and they were going to get him. I, I, I bet, yeah. Which is where it led to that, I think. But 
yeah, it's just a bizarre story. And then, yeah, he, he tries to come back and or said he would try and come back if his wife held a seance. Maybe so that's what we're going to do tonight on my laptop. <laughs> yeah, I'm guessing we're gonna have to get together for that. I'm not sure how well seances uh, work over work over Zoom. Do seances work on Zoom? If anyone listening knows, yeah, I believe there was one once one on Twitter. Someone tried to do a seance years ago. I was gonna say, do you set up another computer for someone else, or is it just you know for like any visitor? Do you? I don't know. We're gonna have to look into it. <laughs> or we'll have to just do one in the earth house or something. That's it. It does seem... Don't get my place cursed, man. <laughs> <It's>, uh, <laughs> um, hmm. Although Harry Houdini would draw in the crowds, I guess. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I'm just imagining the student going up to Harry Houdini now and, you know, sort of uh, the medium send their regards. Boff! You know, <laughs> it's... Um, so it makes me think as well whether I wonder if there's any fraudulent cases because I'm saying no one's ever successfully done it. Someone must have claimed to have made contact. Oh, I bet loads have. I bet loads have. Right, that's that's research for the next episode. We're gonna update on that on the next episode. <laughs> that and you know that and you think like if if he comes through, you get like sucked to the stomach. We're like, oh, and I can't breathe. And <laughs> that's it. That's it. Because there was that film about him, like a fictionalized version of his life where. The same thing happens, but he dies during. Because uh, I, I remember when I was a kid growing up, believing that he died during a stunt. He was doing the underwater chained up bit, and uh, yeah. he couldn't yeah. get himself out because of the damage to his stomach, and he drowned. That's not how he died at all, as you know. But that that was how I believed he died for a long time. Um, it was that people... was one of his last tricks, I think, because he. Yeah. Um, I think a piece of equipment falls on his leg and he, he gets like a broken ankle or something, but he carries on performing anyway. So there is that's... sort of truth to that. Okay. But that's not how he dies. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you, it's not really in the terms of paranormal, but there's um, there's there's so many instances of people doing these sort of tricks and it actually turning bad, you know, they do actually drown or there was a horrible one in America where someone was getting buried in concrete in a perspex tied up inside a perspex coffin. And I think yeah. he'd began to tunnel out underneath or something like that, or had a latch uh, going sideways, but the coffin actually caved in under the concrete before he could get loose. Mm. Um, and then the, the, the videos there, you know, you don't obviously, you know, you just see the concrete just, dip in the middle um so yeah it's oh yeah it's you know hats off to people like houdini and you know sort of everyone else that does these things as a real risk mm. so shall we do uh, some weird news to end the... say, we've got some weird news to end things on which is kind of weird because we're going to do weird news once a month but we've ended up with three in a row <laughs> yeah, yeah. If like, anyone's like, listened to these back to back, they've had three lots of weird news. My one is um, from NPR. Actually, I got this article uh, from. It's uh, it's the title is "Why Scientists Are Reanimating Spider Corpses for Research," um, which you know I think is quite a nice Halloweeny one. Reanimating the dead. Um, yeah. it's not quite as you know, zombie spiders, I was initially hoping, but you know, it's, it's a pretty grim, uh, it is, it's a pretty grim story. 
Um, so Faye Rice and Daniel Preston um, have been working on a paper um, to do with reanimating spider corpses to create grippers or essentially tiny machines. Because you know how a spider, sort of when they die, they sort of die um, yeah. with their legs sort of in a certain position. Um, that is to do with the, the muscles or lack of muscles in their legs. Um, so essentially they... It's the uh, flexor muscles which curl the legs inwards towards their body. And they actually, rather than what we do, where we got to use muscles to bend in or outwards, um, there's a permanently set like that. So if they want to press their legs outwards, they actually have to, that's what uses the muscle. Otherwise, if they're fully relaxed, the legs go in, hence that's how they die. Yeah. <clears throat> so what they're doing, they are um, essentially injecting a solution, I believe, into these spiders. Um, oh, no, it's injected air, sorry. Uh, they inject air into the spiders, which um, moves the um, what spider, what, what this spider blood, essentially, uh, hemolymph, it's called, which is uh, it described here as a rough analog of blood. Um, if it hasn't actually dried up in the corpse, it push, the air pushes it along, and then sort of kind of like almost like hydraulics, it will just force the legs open. So, yeah. and then you take it out and it clamps. So essentially they're using these spiders, um, sort of an organic clamper. And there's actually, there's some footage of this, one of these spiders being used to open up, pick up another spider body and then moving it and then dropping it. Um, so- I use a glass normally. <laughs> essentially it's using, um, it's it's the principles of it are with robotics. And I think the actual the research is and it is is more to do with robotics than I don't know necromancy or whatever you want to call it. Um, it's it's actually um, a form of like you know sort of a way you could make organic robotics um, by using a similar system to do things like it is a hydraulic process, I guess. Um, but I just thought yeah. it was quite you know sort of just the. Yeah, I didn't expect you know sort of someone to say, okay, let's uh, let's take these, let's take dead spiders and uh, and try and do it that way. But I suppose you understand how they work, you know. It's all it's all mechanics, I guess, isn't it? They take loads of things from nature. There's another spider one where they use the silk to um, stitch people up, don't they? After operations, because it's it doesn't get rejected by the body in the same way that you're right. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, silk's phenomenal stuff. Do you know how they synthesize spider silk? Um, how do they do it? So years ago, there was a big thing that came out about spider goats. They crossbred a spider with a goat. And so you're thinking like the goat with eight legs, some hideous creature, and it just looks like a normal goat. Um, and basically the, the protein from the silk comes out in the goat's milk and then they can synthesize it from that. That's incredible. Because obviously, if you took lots of little spiders, you couldn't synthesize enough of it to be any use. But if you no, get it exactly. into a goat or a bigger that. animal, you can get it on that. I know there was talk of trying to do it with humans, and obviously, there were massive ethical concerns around that. But they were talking if we are going to actually go and travel further into deep space, there was yeah. they were saying one option might be, or like colonize other planets more permanently. Um, the option might be to actually create humans that are better adapted 
um, to 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 lasting longer out there, whether it's um, better protection against UV rays um, and you know, radiation, uh, whether it's um, sort of better adaptation towards higher or lower gravity, depending on where they are. And um, it, it's insane what they can do. I'm just going to read you this um, as well. Um, the the actual term is necrobotic, which I think is going to be my new band name. <laughs> Phenomenal term. Um, we've seen researchers use, for example, feathers from a bird for robotics applications. Other than that, we're not um, aware of people using biotic uh, materials. Um, but they, one of the reasons they wanted to use spiders is you, you find them everywhere. They, they serve as really good source material because nature does all the work for us. We don't have to build this uh, pneumatically um, activated gripper just from scratch. Um, we just use nature in the sense to harvest a spider and use it for a gripper. Um, and they're biodegradable as well. So they are arguing that if you can do something with uh, a biotic material rather than, you know, it's the environmental implications. I'm not sure about the idea of having like building sites something with this huge, like biotic sort of, you know, sort of mass, it, you know, it, it seems, it seems quite horrifying, but <laughs> um, there's, yeah, there, there's, there's apparently a lot of, uh, a lot of potential applications for it. Um, but just the idea of using that research to, you know, sort of then feed on to other other applications and actually doing something with it. It's, I don't know, I'm not sure how far it will go, but, you know, I, I thought the idea was quite cool. Um, so, yeah, that, that's my bit of weird news. Uh, necrobotic spiders. And when are you starting the band? Um, I don't know. I need to learn how to play an instrument first. Um, but I, I figure the hard part's done. Yeah, hard part's done. We've got the name. Um, <laughs> so what's your weird news? All right. So I've gone back to my very reliable source, uh, the Daily Star. Because, <laughs> again, I'm a sucker for a headline. <laughs> All right, so headline is bloke claims he chopped up and incinerated the Loch Ness Monster's thinking rotting carcass. So sorry, folks, but the Loch Ness Monster is dead. We can't do the episode of the Loch Ness Monster anymore. <laughs> well, we can't because it's not in Wessex anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, this is something that came about because a guy contacted... Um, Inverclyde Council with a freedom of information request. Um, and so this isn't something that's happened recently. This was something that happened uh, in 1942. So the story goes that the man and another bloke found a carcass of an animal, the like of which neither of them had seen before. I decided to dispose of the carcass before the smell became really offensive. And this had to be done before the tide flowed again. The carcass was cut up into manageable pieces and removed to the town's incinerator grounds. The remains were buried in the grounds of the town's incinerator. And he's quoted as saying, I had in mind to dig them up at a later date once the flesh had decomposed, but I left Gorok in 1946 and the opportunity was lost. Uh, the site where the remains were buried later became St. Ninian's School, but yeah, so this guy has sent a freedom of information request to the council 
to ask what happened to the remains and the land and if the story was just a story. But ah. a spokesman for the council said that it was reported that as the MOD and the Royal Navy prevented photography of the find, that the Gorok Corporation, now succeeded by Inverclyde Council, incinerated the beast and buried it beneath what is now the playing fields of St. Ninian's School in Gorok. Um, the Public Protection Service's contaminated land officer confirmed that if the sea monster was incinerated, it is unlikely there would be much in the way of identifiable materials left. Inefficient incineration might leave some material intact, but this would be unlikely an industrial incineration facility. And he says that he sees there are references to the monster being cut up and buried. So yeah, it's been confirmed by the council that at least the story itself, there are notes to say that that event happened, but maybe it was just like, I don't know, like a bloated whale or something. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I was going to say, so initially I thought you got the, quite often you get that, like you get them all the time, watching around, people say it's a sea monster. There's this horrible, weird looking bloated thing, but it's just the effect of seawater and um, just de decomposition on different organic substances, you know, in, you know, and sometimes it is like a whale and like a lot of it's stripped away. Some of the bones have come away and it looks like this pinkish, horrible blobby sort of thing that stinks. Um, and yeah, you know, so they, it's not till they do analysis that they actually find out what it is. But I mean, I mean, you can get some very big fish there, but those kind of decompose a different way, I guess. Um, and they had a search recently, didn't they? They did. Um, one yes, of the they did. A quite big one. Yeah. yeah. So, are you a believer in Ness, or are you a skeptic? I used to be. I, I remember, like, I had this, in, I had this conundrum, this internal like struggle when I was a kid, when I first started questioning stuff that I didn't already believe, because I. I, I kind of believed in a lot less monster back then. And then I thought, what if it's not real? And then I remember coming to some uh, conclusion, which I, I kind of still hold to this day in a way. And I was like, you know, nine or 10 at the time. I hope they never find out because the magic kind of goes if they ever find out, you know, yeah, one way or the other. Um, I love, Ness was one of my first, like, love. I, I grew up like, watching Godzilla and stuff. The idea of a sea monster or like Lake Monster, I really like. And yeah, I'm going to have to do a bit of research on Southwest Lake Monsters. I know they've got plenty in Wales, but, um, you know, that-, that yeah, I can't think of any in the Southwest. I mean, yeah, there's probably a few in Cornwall, actually. Because back in but, the day up in- um... Unlock an S. Uh, Alistair Crowley used to have a house there, didn't he? Yes, he did. So I think there's connections there as well as to whether he'd summoned something. That's very old one, sort of Lovecraftian. Yeah. Um, yeah. He used to do all kinds of ritual magic, though. And I think there was a rumour, I think, that he'd performed some ceremony and got called away and didn't sort of close it at some point. Something came are, through. Yeah. So maybe we should find find out whether Crowley came down here and try and do some Crowley Wessex we stories. Should. Well I mean there's a lot of um the the new forest has a lot of sort of uh, magical lore when it comes to 
things like witchcraft and and ritual. Um, I won't give too much away because I think that will probably do us up for a whole episode. <laughs> but um, it's one of the birthplaces of Wicca for a start, really. Um, it's got a lot of connections there. But um, yeah, no, going back to going back to your Loch Ness monster, I don't know. I I I used to be a believer, more of a believer, but I don't know. I know you know, sort of. There's always that. You know, realistically, it's nothing. But you know, that I remember on that recent search, right there, reading that they'd they'd like found like sonar shapes down there they couldn't explain and stuff like that. Because I think it's it's nearly a mile, isn't it? Nearly a mile deep at its deepest point, or something like that. So it's two hundred and thirty meters at its deepest point. Okay, that's pretty deep. You know, that's yeah, fit a, few, yeah. Fit a nice beastie in there. Again, there's the, something to cover in a future episode, but there is something very sinister I've always found about deep water. You know, I know a lot of people have reoccurring nightmares about being out in open deep water and stuff like that, and what could be below you. Um, yeah, one of my one of my earliest memories actually was being on holiday in Spain and my dad going snorkeling and my my uncle taking a mickey out of him for not going as deep as he did. And my dad was like, no, once I can't see the bottom, I don't go there. You know, <laughs> it's, you know, I guess it's sensible when you're in the Mediterranean, you do get sharks and barracudas and stuff like that. You know, literally a week later, I think someone was attacked by a shark. So, um, but yeah, I think it's kind of like dark woods. We're sort of conditioned to be a bit iffy about deep water. Cause not only have you got the risk of drowning, but you know, it's, uh, yeah, it's got kind of an extension of that dark unknown, I think, you know. Yeah. Yeah, you can't see the bottom, you don't know what's lurking. Then well, I mean, if there is a Loch Ness monster, it's clearly not something that's gonna attack people because no one's ever been attacked by it, right? I mean No, I think I think someone I think there was a story about someone's boat being attacked or something. But mm. um yeah, I I don't know. It's yeah, it doesn't seem to be a, a uh, malevolent creature no and it's certainly not craving human flesh or anything is it <laughs> well recently uh, there's been a pod of killer whales off the coast of Gibraltar off the Gibraltar Strait apparently they're uh, attacking ships they're just attacking their rudders and like just taking out their rudders I reckon they're causing like millions and millions of pounds worth of damage um, yeah. they think it was possibly an older female that was leading this pod got hit by a ship and they're sort of kind of, she's taught this pod to attack them, uh, yeah. whether it's a revenge thing or whether it's a defense thing, you know, what, what, what's um, your view on that? Well, I was going to just mention as well that, that cause I was, I always thought the Loch Ness monster was a fairly kind of recent phenomena. People reporting sightings of it, but apparently the earliest was in August 565 AD Okay, I knew it was old. I didn't know it was that old. Um, um, yeah, it was written that a type of sea creature had attempted to gulp down a local farmer before being banished back to the water uh, by Saint Columbia, the man responsible for introducing Christianity to Scotland. So, yeah, okay. I don't know how verifiable that case is, but <laughs> <laughs> so it's a lot older than I actually realised. I think the idea would have to be that there would have to be more than one, wouldn't there? Because it can't be the same yeah. creature. Yeah, exactly. It'd have to be this sort of a breeding pair, but then why aren't we seeing more of them? Yeah. Unless yeah. there's a time portal under the water and it keeps... Oh, we're back through, to time portals. <laughs> popping its head up and then it goes back again. 
That's it. Some kind of time slip. Nice. Um, yeah, I, I could, I could, I mean, just as believable as a dinosaur, I guess, in Loch Ness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. I think we should wrap it up because I've got pizza to make. One other thing to mention is that we've got merch now as well, actually, if anyone's interested. Yes. There's some designs I've put up on my Saxon Forager web store, or it's the Red Bubble web store, uh, but there's various weird Wessex designs, which I think I've linked them on social media already, so you'll find them there. Support your favourite weird show about Wessex. <laughs> so that's about it from us. Uh, thank you, as always, for listening to Weird Wessex. And if you enjoy what we do, if you've enjoyed what we do, please like and subscribe, share, and uh, yeah, check out the merch as Craig mentioned. Uh, until next time, from from us two, stay safe and stay weird. Bye. Bye bye.